to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time. I'm your host, Andy, and with me are my co-hosts, Dr. Bisexual Lightning, a.k.a. The Tesseract. That's Dr. The Tesseract to you. And my good friend, Sam, who doesn't want me to use any honorific prefixes. You're being glib. This week, we are talking about one of my personal dark horse persons in Hollywood, Fresh off of his apology tour, the one, the only, John Cho. Or as you know him, Harold. So Sam is looking for me and hoping to find you. Tessa is rummaging through the cloud, and I'm doing the Jupiter Jazz. All right. Uh, Step one, we are talking about the incredibly underrated comedy, Selfie. Um, Which one of you did Selfie this week? I did. You did a selfie. Uh, I did. Mm. So, uh, you know, I'm (laughs) I'm sure if I could visually see you, uh, I would I would have seen the visual gag you were doing there, Sam. I thought I. Oh, not on. I forgot to turn it back on. There we go. Hmm. The the whipping noise you made when you said that's Dr. Tesseract to you. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know, completely didn't get caught. So, all right, Sam, you, you covered Selfie, the much maligned comedy series from 2014. No, you have to ask me what a selfie is. You don't oh, get to okay, say it. Fine. I have to say it. <laughs> what is a selfie? A selfie is a self-portrait photograph typically taken with a digital camera or smartphone, which may be held in hand or supported by a selfie stick. Selfies are often shared on social media via social networking services such as Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram. They are often casual in nature or made to appear casual. A selfie typically refers to self-portrait photos that are taken with a camera held at arm's length as opposed to those taken by a self-timer or remote. A selfie, however, may include multiple subjects. As long as the photo is being taken by one of the subjects featured, it is considered a selfie. However, some other terms for selfies with multiple people include ussy, groofy, and weefy. Alternatively, one can take a mirror selfie with the camera pointed at a mirror instead of directly at one's face, often to get a full body shot. Now, interestingly, of course, this uh, phrase became even more well-known thanks to uh, a significant piece of pop culture in 2014. I am, of course, referring to the Chainsmoker song, Selfie. I never want to hear you use the word ussy or the word weefy again. (laughs) Like, I never want to hear those words. I, I don't want to hear Groofy ever again. <laughs> I'll see. <laughs> oh my god. But my ears hurt. Oh. That is that is bad. So with such a bad word, this has got to be a bad show. What is it about? So I know you're really you're really setting me up to defy what you're saying. You're being sarcastic about it being a bad show, and you're expecting me to come in and say it's a good show. It's not. It's terrible. But let's talk about what Selfie is. Selfie is a show also from 2014. 
I often named after think, the Chainsmoker song. I often think that the Chainsmoker song, in my mind, it's associated with the show, and so I always think it's like the theme song. It is not. I just want you to, all to know, dear listeners, the Chainsmoker song does not appear in this show. Although it may be better than the theme song for Selfie. That's true. I mean, it feels like a real missed opportunity. Oh, jeez. Anyway, so, okay. So, Selfie is a uh, half-hour comedy from ABC in 2014, created by Emily Katnick, who also created the other show that I watched, Suburgatory. So, so the, the show stars Karen Gillan... And really, once you know it's the creator of Suburgatory and it has Karen Gillan in it, who had recently been the companion, that was it. That's all it took for me to watch this. I watched the pilot of this show the night it aired, and I never watched a single episode ever again until prepping for this episode. There, It is a uh, more or less a workplace comedy takes place at a uh, pharmaceutical company called Kinder Care Pharmaceuticals. Karen Gillan plays Eliza Dooley, the company's lead salesperson, and John Cho as Henry Higgs. And I know what you're thinking. That's right. Eliza Dooley, Henry Higgs, we have ourselves a Pygmalion. Wouldn't it be My Fair Lady since Pygmalion doesn't actually have those names in it? It's still bad. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so, Well, yeah. why did you watch it then if you hated the pilot so much? Because we were going to do this episode. It didn't have anything to do with me begging you to watch it over the years? Yes, it did. Uh, so the, the show <laughs> <laughs> the show was originally picked up for 26 episodes. It was canceled after 13, seven of which aired on ABC. It is currently not available for streaming anywhere, which is, even though it's a bad show, it's a shame because not only does it take an opportunity to see Karen Gillan and John Cho away, but this is a show that also stars David Harewood as the CEO of the company. Uh, David Harewood, for those of you who are familiar with the Arrowverse, is in fact John Johns. The Martian Manhunter. Divine Joy Randolph plays Charmonique. You might know her if you watched High Fidelity, which we talked on a pre- talked about on a previous episode. She is currently in a recurring role on Only Murders in the Building. Uh, also, Giacomo Giannotti plays Freddy. You might remember him from another show we talked about earlier in the run of this. He is Dr. DeLuca from Grey's Anatomy. Um, Sam Levine... Freaks and Geeks fame also plays uh, David Harewood's son-in-law. It's it's fun. Like this is the setup for a great show, except for the terrible, putrid, ham-handed, offensive adaptation of Pygmalion by way of My Fair Lady. Do you want to talk about Pygmalion storylines for people who may not be familiar with that concept? So, if you've seen the 1980s comedy Trading Places, there have been lots of adaptations of Pygmalion over the years. Basically, the concept is this. A bet is made that low-class trash person 
can be made into high-class, not-trash person by another high-class person. It is, uh, a at best, a satirical look at class. At worst, it's classist, sexist, all the way around offensive, slut-shamey. I mean, it comes from a play where wherein a man literally makes a woman out of stone. And she, of course, ends up being the perfect woman. So how could you go wrong with that? How could you go wrong? This show did. So why did you watch it? I mean, I I know that I, that I and Andy, I know that Andy and I really love this show. I mean, if you have listened to Monkey Off My Backlog before, you've heard us say justice for Selfie. We both were incredibly disappointed when it was canceled. So what? why do you think we would like it if it's so horrible? Well, yeah, it's awful. Like you said, it's, it's the worst. It's the absolute worst show. It is one of the worst shows I've watched. I mean, the, the pilot is objectively terrible because oh. this, this concept, this My Fair Lady concept should never have happened. If you made a workplace comedy starring all of these people who were characterized in the exact same way, but you didn't have the same premise, we're talking seven seasons in a movie. So that's why you think it was canceled, was the Pygmalion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People like me tuned in expecting something good. Suburgatory was good. Karen Gillan is awesome. There was absolutely no reason to think this show wouldn't be anything but my favorite show. I was so disgusted. I never watched another episode. It was terrible. And so what you're saying is you suffered through all 13 episodes while watching this with me for this episode. I mean, there are many, many hysterical moments in this show. And and Karen Gillan is is a... Well, she's somebody else's national treasure. She's not ours. But <laughs> I, I mean, I I think she's great. I think John Cho plays a great straight man after a fashion to her comedic character. The supporting cast is very strong. And there are a lot of good bits in it. But it never manages to overcome, even as it tries to ignore it later into the 13-episode run, it never manages to overcome the damage that was done to it by the show's premise. What are the things you liked about it? What are the bits that you liked? So my, my two favorite things in the entire show are, so the whole deal with Karen Gillan's character, Eliza, is that she is, she is the hot girl. And she's the best-selling pharmaceutical rep because of her hotness, Right. The whole premise is she can get away with and be famous on the internet and all those kinds of things because she's hot. And Henry Higgs believes that there is more to her than that, hence the the My Fair Ladyization or attempted My Fair Ladyization. But, and I, and I say that not lightly, the joke here is that Eliza was not always this way. In fact, she was voted most but in high school. Which comes up over and over and over again. It's great. Most but. 
which is you really enjoy that phrase. That You've is been saying it for yeah. the last week. Yeah, most I'll just say most buttons start laughing. Um, she's also, and, and the thing is, you know, because she was most butt, she didn't have any friends. And so there's a point in, I think around the third episode where Henry realizes that she never sits down when she eats. And the reason for that is that she eats over a trash can because when you don't have friends, there's no point in sitting down to eat. But the image, because of course, Karen Gillan is a giraffe. Seeing her hunched over <laughs> the trash can eating in her like, you know, in her outfits is just great. It it tells you everything you need to know about this character, both comedic and tragic. And that was fun. So you've talked a lot about the characterization of Karen Gillan, but this is a John Cho episode. Right. What did you think about his characterization in this? Well, as I said before, he is the straight man. Right. He is the he is on the show. His character is 40, which. John, John Cho was 58. Uh, he was actually yeah, he was actually more or less the right age. And and I just it's funny because I don't think of John Cho as that old. And it's not just because of Harold and Kumar. Like, I forget that he's Harold. I, I do. He just seems very young to me perpetually. Which is a terrible problem to have, I know. But uh, he is very much the the classical comedic straight man in this. And so it's easy to ignore that. Or, sorry. It's, it's easy to ignore what he's bringing to the show. It is harder to be a good straight man than it is to be a good comedic actor. Because a straight man is a comedic actor, but has to pretend that they're not. Well, it's funny that you say that, though, because, yes, I think he is classically played as the straight man in Selfie, but he does get these moments where he's just allowed to be extremely goofy because, like, one of the scenes that I remember the most from the show is him at a Blues Travelers concert (laughs) just, like, singing all the words to all the songs. Right. With the amazing Ron Funches. Yes. 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 That was that was great. There's a scene where they go to a Blues Traveler concert. It is Blues Traveler on the stage. And John Cho and Ron Funches are having a good old time. It was great. Right. I I I, I wanna stress because I, I the, the the pilot hurt both me and Tessa and our chances of ever convincing anybody ever ever to watch this show. Forget the fact that it's just not available anywhere. But the pilot is, for the most part, except for David Harwood, I didn't find it very funny at all. David Harwood kissing John Cho on the mouth and then saying, I've heard that Asian men are comfortable with kissing on the mouth. And then emailing him or printing out the BuzzFeed article that he read that said that. There's a, the, the karaoke episode's pretty great. He, he says, do you, do you assume that I like karaoke just because I'm Korean? Well, I do. <laughs> I, I particularly like the part where he, they're babysitting Charmonique's kid, uh, DJ, <laughs> DJ Pre-K. DJ Pre-K. <laughs> DJ Pre-K. And uh, he starts playing 
uh, K-pop and John yes. Cho's character's like, just because I'm Korean, can't, you can't just assume I like K-pop because I'm Korean. But then he's like dancing to I it do the like whole time. It, yeah, yes. it's right. he does have these like little moments. And I think that's what's brilliant about his performance in this is that like, yeah, like Karen Gillan is supposed to be the, the goofy one who's like doesn't understand how to be a human being and he has to like be the one that loosens up a little bit but we do get to see these like glimmers of just like a goofy person underneath all of the like straight laced like business dude right and uh i do want to stress the joke that i don't think anybody gets but i found it to be hilarious is david hardwood's character is named saperstein and that's the name of the doctor from Rosemary's Baby, and he runs a children's pharmaceutical company. I like never picked up on that. That's a really good pickup, and strangely enough, that it, it connects with the film I did. So, <laughs> uh, so sorry. I I I think Selfie is an example of a show that needed those extra seven episodes to finally cement what it was going to be. Uh, it was also a show that came out right at the peak where it was like, oh, streaming doesn't really count for views. Right. And I think the show to compare it to, and um, I think I know the reason for this. Selfie, of mm -hmm. course, you know, Suburgatory was never the most popular show. It was all right uh, as far as rating. It did survive past one season. Selfie is right up there with another show from more or less around the same period that had a similar, t similarly terrible title and premise. But this show managed to overcome its title oh. and its premise and run for multiple seasons. I thought you were going to go A to Z. No, I'm talking about Cougar Town, mm. which there is a reason why that show survived and Selfie didn't. Right, it was on TBS. Not originally. Oh, really? No. <laughs> who do you know uh, who created Cougar Town? Bill Lawrence, right? Exactly. Yeah, I was actually going to bring up the other Bill Lawrence uh, show, Undateable, which had a uh, really good third season, like surprisingly good third season. So I think that's the issue here for a show that's yeah. about My Fair Lady, which. Uh, we've had some conversations about this off the podcast is an inherently problematic story for many reasons, including sexism. It's kind of ironic that the person who came up with the premise of the show is a woman and did not get her show to stay on the air because she was not Bill Lawrence. Well, it almost makes me feel like maybe she had to pitch it as a My Fair Lady like she wanted because these characters are so good and it does seem yeah and they develop as characters and they they push each other in ways that are interesting but it almost seems like maybe in order to get it off the ground she had to be like yeah this is like my fair lady yeah. which a lot of people have to do to get their projects to to fruition so i've i've mentioned some other shows from this time period um, and i'm using time period loosely for about a decade here there's another show that this show reminds me of. It ran longer, and it was better than people thought it was, but it was still untimely canceled. This Community. reminds me, Better Off Ted. Yes, I love Absolutely. Better Off Ted. This is a, there were a lot of shows like this around that time. This was 
largely because of shows like Community, uh, the 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 big comedy craze at this time was single camera, and you know it was these again because of Community these kind of wacky high concept, uh, you know premises, and you know not that many people watched Community to begin with. This was always going to be a case of diminishing returns as far as numbers. You know, the broadcast networks were going through an identity crisis at this point. And so, you know, they would greenlight these high concept shows and be disappointed when they didn't get the ratings that they were never going to get. Right, right. And and this uh, show was definitely not going to get ratings after that pilot. No, no. And um, even, even worse, though, is like when you get a creator to actually do their comedy and get some form of freedom. Usually the shows are so much better than you think that they would be. Uh, and this was just a time where it was too broad. And I'll say one more thing related to John Cho and some of his other TV work. One of the main places that I recognize John Cho from is another show I watched from day one, but ultimately quit before it was canceled. Sleepy Hollow. John Cho oh. was in the first several episodes of season one of Sleepy Hollow, which is one of uh, a it is a show that nose dived so hard, so fast, so racist that it will go down in infamy forever. That show, a show where a black woman is the lead. And they decided they couldn't have that, so they killed her. John Cho was associated with that show when it was good. I'm not saying it was good because of him, but it was great to see him. And ultimately, he's not on the show uh, past the first several episodes. So I think that's what really connects not just Sleepy Hollow, but this show, Selfie, to what we're talking about here, which is John Cho makes projects better. Yes, absolutely. He certainly does. And uh, but even when the projects are already really cool and high concept, which, by the way, John Cho will actually take a weird high concept show like uh, what was it? Uh, fa- fast forward, flash forward. Yeah. What was the name? Yeah. It yeah. Was flash he, forward. He was in that. Yeah. He, he will do the interesting things. He he will have fun with it. He he's awesome. Um. But he was also in a movie. Well, before we before we get to that, uh, should anyone ever watch Selfie if it ever comes back to streaming? So, if you really like John Cho or Karen Gillan, there are worse ways to spend your time, such as watching things that don't have John Cho or Karen Gillan. <laughs> um, we are so. I'm not going to, we're not going to talk about this show. I'm not even going to name it, both of you. But there is another show that I will be talking about in a few weeks that, Tessa, you have also bugged me to watch. You bugged me to watch Selfie and this other show, which we'll be talking about in a few weeks. And that show is the show that you should watch. And it's available on streaming. So when we get to it in uh, two or three weeks, 
you'll you'll see. Uh, this is you you were you were one for two on this one. <laughs> I don't hate that I watch selfie, but I actually enjoy the show that we're watching right now. So no, I don't recommend it, which is fine because you can't watch it anyway. But if it does come out of the vault and you are a Karen Gillan or John Cho completionist, you won't be sorry. Would you recommend just the Blues Traveler episode? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm not well known for watching one episode of out of continuity, so you, mm. you, I think you know I don't. I would because Ron Funches is amazing, and just the chemistry between John Cho and Ron Funches as, as random concert goers who do not know each other is wonderful. I feel like they have all each other's contact info after that, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I. That's not confirmed. I, really would have... I just feel like that's what happened. Right, right, right. I, I really would have loved to see season two where, uh, you know, it's a Craig Robinson and Brooklyn Nine-Nine situation where just Ron Funches keeps coming back yeah. in the same, the same dorky ways. Instead of the Pontiac, Pontiac Bandit, it's the uh, Blues Traveler concert goer. Oh, amazing. Um, okay. Well, I, I also want to thank you, Sam, because I, I watched a few episodes of this and then with my new 2022 lens, I was like, oh, it, t- it takes a longer time to get ready. Like, like it was one of those situations yeah. where I was looking at, at my wife constantly like, huh? Huh? It gets better. I promise. I promise it gets better. And then it was like, oh, wow, it's taking a lot longer than I remember it to get better. Oh. And then there's just a, a, a small shine of hope. But on to the movie that was watched this week. Yeah. Speaking of small shines of hope. <laughs> Just very, very small. I think that it's really interesting that we've been talking about John Cho as a television actor when I know him more for his film roles. And I think a lot of people know him for his film roles. You've already mentioned Harold and Kumar. Right. And of course, if you're a Star Trek fan, you know John Cho as Sulu from the 2009 onward Star Trek trilogy, the Kelvinverse trilogy, as it were. So I think that John Cho has a really interesting career in the fact that he has done so many different kinds of projects. Like he doesn't, on the one hand, I feel like after Harold and Kumar, he does get typecast a lot as a comedic actor, which I think is a disservice to him because as I will talk about when I talk about my monkey, he is a really good dramatic actor as well he has a lot of layers that he's able to bring to any character but it is interesting to see that he has been a part of so many different projects the other thing that I feel like I always think of when I think of John Cho is that he has always been very he's always been very outspoken about the role of Asian Americans in American cinema and he has always talked a lot about how Harold and Kumar, especially the the role of Harold, allowed him to sort of break out of a lot of stereotypes when it came to Asian characters and what they were allowed to do. But also in 2016, he was the face of a hashtag starring John Cho social movement that was created by William Yu, where he was photoshopped onto a lot of different movies as the male lead in order to basically be like, look, here's someone who knows how to do both comedy and drama. People really like him. He's really great. Why is he not having the same career as all of these other white male actors? Like he could be a romantic comedic lead. He could be a dramatic lead. He can be the lead of a thriller, which is 
the type of movie I'm talking about. And so that's something I think about a lot when I think about John Cho is the idea that he's this very versatile actor and he's had a long career. But like you said, Andy, he's very underrated and people don't necessarily see him as being somebody who could helm a blockbuster in the way that they see white actors. But so Tessa, you're saying that John Cho could could be a, a star lord. He could carry a franchise like Jurassic Park. He could be Indiana Jones. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Would watch all of those movies. So we John don't Cho. need Chris Pratt, you guys. <laughs> We've got John Cho. We're good. I I think he should. I think he should play Kenneth Troy, or uh, not Kenneth. God. What what was, what's the the DC hero? Oh. Oh, uh, the Adam. Yes, yes. The, the, other the second Adam. Adam. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, I could definitely uh, see he, that. He 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 would he would be wonderful, but um, unfortunately, I think he is kind of out of anything um, too physically imposing after uh, his run in my show that we'll cover. Yeah, so let's talk about the thriller. Yeah, I watched the 2018 thriller Searching, which I was assured online by multiple sources is one of the first major thrillers that is led by an Asian American actor. Please don't check me on that. If you know of any other ones that I'm just like missing, let me know. But that was something that a lot of people wanted to talk about was the fact that this is a uh, a major shift in the type of people we see in these types of movies. It was directed by Anish Chaganti in his feature, deb- feature debut and was produced by Timur Bekmambetov, who Sam assures me has done other things that I haven't seen. Like Nightwatch and Wanted, is that what you said? I haven't seen either of those movies, but oh. he's like somebody that's a big deal to a lot of people. Uh, but basically, it follows the story of a father, played by John Cho, trying to find his missing 16-year-old daughter, played by Michelle Law, with the help of a police detective, played by Deborah Messing. So it's it's a pretty standard, like, daughter goes missing, father trying to figure out what happened type of story we've seen this before yes usually it's mel gibson looking for the daughter or liam neeson's looking for the daughter but as you say this time it's john cho but uh there's also something else different from uh that makes searching different from ransom or taken there's a gimmick right or dragged across concrete or i'm trying to think of other mel gibson movies Uh, Yeah, yeah. so Searching does have a really interesting gimmick that it does that I think is pretty successful. It takes place entirely on computer screens and smartphones. So as you watch it, you're not like, it's not a traditional setup, camera setup where you're like following John Cho around. You're basically following this story through internet searches, through like moments of seeing different people in FaceTime videos, through, you know, this John Cho's character searching through his daughter's social media as he discovers that like she has a whole online life that he didn't know about. Like there's really interesting like family videos that get played. It's a really interesting look into the way that a lot of narrative actually does happen online now. And the ways in which we store a lot of our lives on our laptops, on our phones, et cetera. So it, it, it is a very good 
gimmick, I think. I think it works pretty well. I wasn't sure when we started the film how it was going to work, but it was shot, the film was shot on various devices. So like, I think just in and of itself, it's fascinating to know how they shot this film. Um, They did a lot of it on GoPro. They did some of it on drones um, and news helicopters near the end. But a lot of it was actually filmed on the director's iPhone. Like that was the main camera was them just using this iPhone to just basically use FaceTime to film most of the conversations, especially between John Cho's character and Deborah Messing's character. And I, it's the one of the things that stuck out to me was, uh, because this movie goes through time, we actually get to see the film through the ecosystem of Windows XP as well as uh, the the Apple OS. And I really feel like if Apple didn't fund this movie, they should have because <laughs> this this movie one of, I think one of the subplots about this movie is dunking on Windows. Just a little bit, I think it's it's a really interesting way of looking at this kind of narrative and honestly I think it ratchets up the tension a lot more than I I I was way more interested in this film than I would have been in one that did this a little bit more traditionally because it really follows just those moments of realizing that your child is missing and you know like the way that you like parents don't know that at first right especially with teenagers it's like well you know, maybe they're with their friends or maybe they're, you know, at their piano lessons or whatever. But like, there's just that like moment when he realizes that something is very wrong and you can see it through like this FaceTime, you know, video of him like calling different people and trying to sort out what happened, realizing that he doesn't actually know her as well. Uh, And part of that is tied up in the plot of like her mother died of cancer like two years previously to the film. And so he's like a single dad trying to like figure out how to relate to his daughter in this way. It's all very well done. John Cho, they did have to age him up a little bit for this role because they wanted him to believably look like he had a 16-year-old daughter, which, as we pointed out, he just looks so young in in most of his, his right. roles. But he does such a good job of playing someone who genuinely cares about his daughter but also doesn't know her very well. And... I think that that's really hard to pull off in a way that doesn't come off as like him being a bad parent. Um, But he does it. I think he does a really good job of creating empathy for the character while realizing these characters limitations. Right. And uh, for for me, this was one of my top movies of 2018. It's a movie I tried to tell everybody to watch for one, a unique experience. And I think a genuinely good mystery that, Oh yeah. That you can solve if you pick up on some stuff beforehand. And that's one of the cool things that I love about this movie. I just want to point out, by the way, because you, you, you went back to the John Cho age. Well, uh, in, in 2018, 2018. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. In 2018, John Cho is old enough to have a 16 year old. He is, he yes. was born in 1972. I know. I just think it's interesting that they were like, we have to age you up. You don't believably look like you have a 16-year-old daughter. Right. And also, uh, they really had to kind of uh, make him a little haggard looking, too, because he is in a moment of grief. He is in a 
Right. Uh, well, and it's interesting because, like, you point out that this film does happen over time because, like, especially the beginning of the film, we get a lot of footage from, like, this family, you know, like, having a kid and her growing up and the, the story about the cancer with the mom. But most of the film takes place over a five-day period. So you can, like, genuinely see him going from this, like, very well put together, like, person who goes to work and whose life is pretty much a routine to someone who's like hasn't slept in several days and like who has been obsessively talking to like he creates a spreadsheet of all her Facebook friends and is like calling each one of them right to like see where they were and how well they knew her and all of this kind of thing so I I think that that works pretty well I will say my one critique of the film is that I do think it kind of falls apart a little bit in the in the last third mainly because the gimmick itself can't be sustained over parts of the narrative. And so they have to rely more on like news footage type things, which aren't really like my favorite parts of this. And it, I don't know, like these kinds of films, the endings are almost never as satisfying as the beginnings of them. And so that's just a critique of the genre in general, but this is a very good example of this type of genre, which is not something that I normally find myself watching. The other thing too, is that, the ways in which this film is almost as interested in the ways that having this kind of access to someone's life online is almost as disturbing as the actual like disappearance. Like the idea that like you can break into somebody's social media and have this very easily. He, I mean, it doesn't even take him very long to do it. It's probably like five minutes to get into his daughter's social media and you can, like, look through all of these different aspects of someone's life. It kind of reminded me of the television series You, uh, although that's obviously a much more creepy version of this because, you know, he's, like, stalking someone through their social media. But, like, to me, it was just, like, how much of our lives do we live online now? And, like, how easy is it for someone to get access to that information? That, to me, was very disorienting and very disturbing i think it's ironic that this is the best example of the style of filmmaking that we were talking about in 2020 because we all we all had that conversation about how more movies were going to be made that show the effects of the pandemic you know especially that social isolation you know movies that would be filmed purely on zoom or things like that and 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 this idea of social media becoming an even bigger part of our lives because of politics or not being able to socialize in public and all of those things so this is really the best example of those two types of things that came out of the pandemic but it was made over a year before that so <laughs> weird yeah yeah, I mean, I just think it's it's a really good film. Like, and it's a pretty short film, Andy. I mean, it's a little over your 90-minute mark, but it is like an hour and 40 minutes, I believe. So it's but it's it doesn't need to be any longer. Like it's a very well-paced, like you're you're watching everything that he's doing very closely the whole mm-hmm. time. And it, I feel like if it had been any longer, I would have been exhausted <laughs> after watching yeah. this. Yeah, no, it's it's very good. Uh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I, this is one of the few movies I own on Blu-ray. Like, I felt like I had to support this movie in any way because it relatively bombed at the box office. But there is a Searching 2 coming out 
works with uh, uh, not John Cho. And I right, I don't think you could do this again with the same characters. It right. would it would stretch the believability of it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Unless he who, like went into this as a business for like other who, people. <laughs> who's it? it's uh it's Nia Long and Storm Reed. Okay, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to check out, but I. I would recommend this to anyone that likes a good thriller, that likes a good mystery, like you said, Andy, because it does follow some really interesting conventions of like mystery films, uh, or who is who are just interested in seeing some really innovative filmmaking and stretching the way that different perspectives can be used in film. Yeah, yeah. Also, searching too, I just found out has uh, Ken Leung or uh, Miles from Lost, since uh, we could you, do use that to plug in Tessa Watches Lost. That's exciting. Um, All right, Andy. Yeah. You did something that you've been looking forward to for uh, that you've been looking forward to for a while. So yeah, this is because uh, you, you. I I feel like we should just start calling you Anna Mandy because like you watch so much anime, but this is not an anime. This is an adaptation of an anime. But before we get to that, what is your relationship to Cowboy Bebop? So the anime. Cowboy Bebop, the anime, is known as one of the classics of anime. I, I personally love it. Uh, I was sold on Firefly by being told that it is a live-action Cowboy Bebop. It is one of the most awesome uh, space western bounty hunter. Uh, the people who live in space are also very poor and just the ships are dirty. Looks at, uh, at the future. Um, I... I really, really like it. I've watched it a lot of times. This was uh, one of the few DVDs I owned as a teenager. It's beautiful. It has amazing music and just fantastic. What is it about, though? Like, the the main plot line? Okay, the main plot line is very uh, episodic and spread out. It's about a crew of uh, misfit bounty hunters. You have Spike Spiegel. You have Jet. You have Faye Valentine. Uh, and they are, you know, just space bounty hunters. Th- that's that's it. They travel Earth, Mars, uh, Ganymede, Venus, and take out various different various different criminals and terrorists. So it's kind of like a gunslinger western, but in space. It, it's more of a noir, actually. Like okay, like it feels more of a noir. Um, Every episode has is named after some form of music, like Jupiter Jazz, you know, uh, various other things. I I could continue on, but the it, it's quasi gunslinger, it's quasi sci fi, it's noir, it's a little bit of everything, and of course, uh, the overarching plot line is that Spike. Well, he has a bit of a mysterious past and some uh, some questions about his his past. Uh, and they so he's a mysterious up. gunslinger. Uh, yes, yes. That's yes. that's a pretty common trope with the gunslinger uh, is like this idea that he has a mysterious past. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and it, it's it's so very specific. The style, the music, the it's one of the few. Um, Japanese animes where the English dub is by far the superior. Uh, Ooh, controversial. 
no, no, this is not controversial. <laughs> like, 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 even to anime nerds, this is not controversial. It's it's so unique as a world. It has a beautiful feel to it, and of course, the Cowboy Bebop movie is also very good, uh, which is a different uh, animated film that's just gorgeous. So. Okay, Andy, you have it was canceled after one season. Is that the show or the live action? So the show ended after one season, 26 episodes, and it ended with a full story uh, done. done oh, okay. Was it canceled or did they just want to make one season? No, no, no. That, that, that was the story. Uh, oh, okay. Anime, anime is much more comfortable with the idea of, hey, we're done with the story. Let's walk away. I wish more television shows in the U.S. were were like that. I think that that tends to make better television. But you didn't watch Cowboy Bebop for this episode, though. You watched the live action. So did it make the transition between anime to live action? And what is John Cho's place in all of this? Okay, John Cho plays the main character, Spike Spiegel, which he is an inspired casting choice for this. Uh, character uh he pulls off the feel the weight the hairstyle of spike spiegel perfectly that's saying a lot for an anime character transitioning to a live action character yes yes no john cho it, netflix whatever they're doing with their live action um anime adaptations seems to be getting the casting right everything about the casting is good uh everything about a style that they're showing. It is not the style from the anime. It is a style. I recommend there's a three minute short clip kind of proof of concept that Netflix released called Cowboy Bebop, the lost session. It is amazing. And it demonstrates the cinematography and the feelings of the show. Perfectly. Anything else to recommend the show? The live action version? I mean, <sighs> Oh, recommend is a strong word. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, 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 okay, here's the thing. If you like really cool cinematography, if you like cheesy dialogue, if you like a back and forth and chemistry between the, the comrades, if you liked Firefly and you want, uh, a Firefly that is more of a, um, Fargo season two cinematography with more action. Um, Sam will know what I'm talking about because he's seen Fargo season two, I believe. Yeah. It's very unique. Uh, there's split takes, there's cut takes, uh, lots of Dutch angles, lots of interesting stuff. Uh, this is a gr half of the show is great. Half of the show is perfectly for you. So, so it's basically like any show that Noah Hawley did make. It has mm -hmm. the sensibility of Fargo and half of it's a good show. Yes. Legion. <laughs> I, I, I will get to season two of Legion eventually. Legion is so good, it's unwatchable. <laughs> um, like, that's, that's Noah Holly House style right there. So dense. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's and, it, and, and, and of course, uh, I also need to mention that Cowboy Bebop is famous for having, the anime is famous for having a anime corgi. I was about to ask you about the Corgi because that was in a lot of the Netflix promotional material for this yes, live yes. action I'm series. The Corgi. If you ever meet somebody with a Corgi named Ayn, they are an anime nerd and named after Cowboy Bebop. 
It's so very common. The other thing too is that this I remember there was a huge it was a huge deal that this also got canceled after one season. Was this also a full story? Was this mischaracterized? <laughs> um Okay. It is not a full story. So okay. The half of the story that is serious and the part of the anime that is serious and out of 26 anime episodes, 20 minutes each, six of the episodes cover in any way the overarching story for Spike. It feels like a third to a quarter of every episode is dedicated to Spike's mysterious past with a... um a organized crime organized international crime unit uh called the syndicate and this is where the show falls apart horribly okay how so um in in the anime a, a benefit of animation is that you can have weird looking characters be serious um, right. <laughs> the 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 main villain antagonist who's hunting Spike down constantly is named Vicious. In the anime, he looks great. And live action, the tonal transition from the fun, goofy back and forth and just heightened beautiful color, uh beautiful shot action sequences fail the second this dude comes on screen because he is over serious he is chewing the scenery in all the wrong ways uh the entire plot line is boring you know way too much of it beforehand it just does not work gotcha um you can if you google vicious cowboy bebop you will laugh at the costume design on this character <laughs> Especially, particularly the live action one, because he looks like a normal edge lord in the anime. Great, you know, fighting with a katana, trench coat, very, uh, very feels very Matrix the Crow y. Then you take a look at him in live action, and he looks goofy. He looks like out of place. It he sounds looks like completely out of place. And of course, the uh, the damsel in distress model just does not work with this and that's an entire other problem so cowboy bebop a show that captures the episodic parts of cowboy bebop perfectly the serialized parts not so much so who would you recommend this to or would you recommend this to anyone i i yeah i recommend this to everybody watch the first episode if you love the energy if you love the feel of chemistry between the two leads like this is this is what that is. So much cool stuff. So much great design, cinematography, uh, everything. And then it's just this quarter you can just kind of not pay attention to. It's It was so, so disappointing. But John Cho is good. John, John Cho is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I I do not regret anything about this, but I also like John Cho is up there with Michael Shannon and Lakeith Stanfield for me as one of these actors that I'm just always going to gravitate towards. Absolutely fair. Uh, yeah, and I think that's it. Yeah. 
for now anyway. I mean, I one of the things that I loved about this episode is that it reminded me just how much John Cho content is out there that I haven't seen. So this is definitely inspiring me to go find some more of his stuff. I know that he just he has a movie coming out soon that we were listening to. Ugh. He has a movie coming out soon that we heard about on NPR. Um that's also like a daughter father daughter like road trip movie. It it was released earlier this month like 2 days ago earlier this month I believe. I'm just trying mm. to remember what the name of the movie is. Don't make me go. That's the name of the film. So, yeah, I mean that's like something I was like, "Oh yeah, I should definitely watch more John Cho and I should watch this film that he just made." Yeah. Uh he was also in the TV series The After Party, the uh, amazing murder mystery. Oh yeah, that's another one that I need to see. So, uh that's yeah. that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh he's doing a lot more voice work, too. Anyway. All right. That's it. I think I think we're we're good. I Next up on Mumble. We're going to camp. I believe Tessa coined the term campy camp. Just to make sure that people knew we weren't talking about movies wherein people go to camp, but campy movies. Right. We're going to campy camp, and then I am taking off. So I don't want to cheer for that. <laughs> uh, I, I am taking off. You have, important, you have important business trip right. slash school trip to go on. Yes. yes. Business, I, business, business. There's a, you, you left out the Wachowski episode. Oh, yes. Yes, the Wachowskis. That's right. I might watch The Matrix Revolutions, or I might watch their first movie, the last movie, or the movie directed by only one of them. I don't know. And uh, I believe we're going to be talking Cloud Atlas and what is it? What, what's the Speed Racer. Go. We're going to be Racer, joined go. by Wild Pretty Things co-host Melissa as well. So we awesome. will be talking about Jupiter Ascending, Speed Racer, and Cloud Atlas. Oh, Plus Jupiter Ascending. Whichever one oh. you get around Plus to. Plus whatever Andy gets around to. Oh, Jupiter Ascending. Oh, okay. 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 Uh, anyway, Tessa, Dr. Tessa, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Swayla Tessa. Swayla is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nanny Ogg's Book Club. That's on Twitter at Nanny's Book Club and on Instagram at Nanny Ogg's Book Club. Sam, no prefix. What are you? You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris nine. And you can find me on Twitter at Andy Noted. Please send us your thoughts about the monkeys we talked about today. Do you like John Cho? Is there something off about him? Let me know. Let me think about what was a good pun I should have made throughout this. Uh, you know, something about fantastic, but with Cho, I, I, I could not think of anything. Is, is he the chosen one? There we go. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a, a pun technically uh what pop culture have you crossed off your list lately uh what should we talk about on future episodes give us some ideas we're booked for quite a while with our themes but i we love some themes they're awesome um let us know find us on twitter and instagram at monkey backlog email us at monkey off my backlog at gmail.com Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go and get that monkey off your back.
Yay!